Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Have a great day. Chris Alcoholic. I really want to thank Karen and her crew. This is this is really everybody give Karen a hand. This this really has been so well run. You know, there's so many little details that just make it extra special. And I certainly appreciate that. I, I go to some of these things and uh, I've seen I've seen when it's done poorly. You know, uh I remember, I remember one uh, that I was at. I, I was, I was there. Uh, Glenn, Glenn was taping, and this, this was really just. It was one of those paws, one of the, uh, the icky paws or something. I can't, can't remember what it was. But I remember, you know, you usually get a host when you, when you travel and you go somewhere, and you usually get a host. And this host that was supposed to be my host for the weekend took one look at me and just didn't like me or something. Just like, look at me, like. Oh, you're Chris, and I never saw her again, you know, for any help, and and it was just dysfunctional. I remember they put they put Glenn down in the basement somewhere. It was, it was just really uh, really crazy, and and then there, and then there's been times when uh, when I've been given hosts that I had to ditch, you know. <laughs> There's this one guy who just was following me around, just like two feet away from me, looking at me like every two seconds. I'm like, all right. So I finally I started going, wait right here, I'll be right back. And I'd go all the way to the other side of the event. And you know, when he finally found me, I'd go, hold on a minute, hold on, wait right here, I'll be right back. And I I did that for like two and a half days, wow, because it was driving me crazy. Anyway, I you know. Became willing to have God remove these defects of character. You know, you've, you've done a lot of things uh, up to and through the fifth step that are real action items. Um, you know, uh, I, I, I keep beating on this, but it was, uh, you know, there's still so much trouble in this area, in the tri-state area, that I feel like I need to talk about it is so many people have a, the, a misunderstanding about these steps, especially four and five. Um, I don't know where this came in. I think it came in from, um, from, from it could be partially from uh, treatment. It could be partially from a misreading of the literature. But so often people think telling your fifth step is telling your story. And if and if you're you're telling your story, you're not learning anything. You're you're not sharing. You, you know you're not you're not. Uh, all, all you're doing is like regurgitating stuff that you already know. Uh, the fourth step really is about f- finding out what the heck is going wrong with us. You know why why are you know why are why do we have defective personal relationships? Why are we emotional disasters? Why do we have trepidation about sometimes the simplest things, like going into a store with fluorescent lights or something, or going to traffic court, you know? This one time, this one time I went to, I went to uh, the Motor Vehicle Bureau, Bureau over here in Wayne, New Jersey, to get my driver's license back from a third DUI. And, 
you know, I just hate standing in line, and I don't like authority, and, you know, it's a motor vehicle bureau. I need, you know, I need to get, you know, get a little confidence up. I, I'll have a couple of drinks. Now, so I, I actually get drunk to go get my license back for a third DUI. You know, I drive down to Wayne, you know, you know what I mean? And, uh, and now I've got my confidence back up. As a matter of fact, oh, I'm cocky. And, uh, and, you know, I go up to this one. I go, oh, I've got this, and uh, this is notarized, and here's the check, and, uh, uh, and a money order. Uh, uh, uh. Now, give me the piece of Because she needed to give me a piece of paper so I could go downstairs and get my license. Now, give me the piece of paper. And she leans forward, and she starts sniffing me. Like, <laughs> she goes, you've been drinking. I'm like, no. She goes, you stink like vodka. You're getting your license back for a third day. Did you drive here? She says, no. You know, like, she's got to give this back. I mean, legally, she has to give me that piece of paper. I'm compliant, you know. And uh, and so she hands it to me, and I grab it, and it, it turns into this, like, tug of war. She's thinking twice about it. I'm, you know, I finally yank it out of her hands. Now, think, think, about how, think about how stupid that, that is. Now, now on, a, on a stupidity meter, you know, that, that would be up there in the nines. Now, do I really look like I'm that stupid of a person? You know, it talks in our, it, it talks in our book about being driven by things, okay? When you suffer, when you suffer from alcoholism, you can, you can be driven by fear. You can be driven by resentment. You can be driven by anxiety to, to do things. And, you know, I was driven to try to get rid of some of my anxiety so I could deal with motor vehicle, you know, by, by, by taking a drink. Now, I need to see what the underlying causes and conditions are of these stupid things that I'm doing. So I need, I need to inventory them. I need to share them with somebody else. Because that helps with perspective. And then I need to become willing to have these defects of character removed. It's not, you know, it's, it's not by uh, coincidence that the sixth step is right after the fifth. I think, I think once we've, you know, written down this whole magilla of how, you know, dysfunctional we are with our, with our, our anger, our fear, and, you know, the harms that we've caused other people, and shared that, I think that's a time when we have, we have at least a close perspective on what this stuff is doing to us and our life. And we can usually say, yeah, yeah, I'm willing. I'm willing to have God remove these defects of character. And on some levels, we really are. On some levels. It's why this step basically says if we're holding on to anything, we ask God, for the strength to be able to let that go. Because there are things that we want to hang on to, and we may not always recognize this. But how about the work situation? You know, if I, if I become willing to have God take away, you know, everything, and, and I turn that over to God, you know, how am I going to keep my competitive edge? Or, you, you know, you're going you're gonna to think that you're going to need to hold on to the decision-making in uh, you know in your job, well, how about if I become willing to let have God let go of my lust? 
You know, I don't know if I really want to do that because if I do that, I may never get laid again. And, you know, hold on a minute with this stuff. Let's not go overboard. So, so there are sometimes there's levels that we're, we're willing to let, uh, to let God in on. And I think that the prayer directive in step six is very, very important. I think it's important whenever there's a prayer directive, I think it's important, uh, for us to, uh, internalize that prayer and practice that, that prayer for however long it's uh, appropriate to do so. One of the things I found in this, in this program is, is the prayers that they ask you to do really work. They're transformative. They create, uh, they, they create, uh, you know, the atmosphere for or this perspective for some real fundamental change, some real shifts in, uh, in our awareness and a, a lot of times in our behavior. So, okay, uh, I've, I've finished the fifth step. Uh, to the best of my ability at that particular time, I'm willing to have God remove these defects of character. In the old days, in the original manuscript, um, basically set, step seven said, uh, um, humbly on our knees, uh, uh, ask God to remove these defects of character, holding nothing back. You know, that was the original reading of the step. And again, the more you look at the history of early Alcoholics Anonymous, the more you see these guys on their knees. You know, some of the earlier members that are talking about how Dr. Bob worked with them is, you know, Dr. Bob would get you on your knees for your third step. He'd get you on your knees for your seventh step. Uh, you, were, you were up and down quite a bit uh, because it's kind of an, it's kind of an act, of, uh, act of submission. Now, one of the mistakes I made with step six and seven, and I think a lot of people make this because a lot of people misunderstand their relationship to, uh, to, their, to, the, to the things that are going on in their life. One of the mistakes I made was believing that I, could, I should be the one working my, on my own defects of character. Uh, when I went through my first, you know, really, really poor attempt uh, through the steps, I decided that, well, okay, I've done my fifth step. You know, I'm going to work on my character defects. And I'm going to take some time and I'm going to, you know, get better. I'm going to, you know, start start to fix myself a little bit. And it, it didn't work out that way. Has anybody in here tried to work on your own character defects? You know, how, how did that work for you? Uh, didn't work so well for me. Uh, you know, if... If my alcoholism is like all-encompassing, it, it encompasses my attitude. It encompasses the behaviors and the thought processes that, that drive my actions. Then, you know, if I admit that I can change myself and I can fix my character defects just by wanting to, I'm misunderstanding alcoholism. And I'm misunderstanding this whole, this whole need for a power greater than myself. I think the steps are worded very, very uh, carefully. Bill, if, if Bill Wilson did one thing, he was very careful with the language he used. You know, there was many, numerous rewrites uh, to the book Alcoholics Anonymous, especially the earlier chapters. And he was pretty specific about uh, his language. And if he says, uh, become willing to let God remove the character defects and then humbly ask God to remove the character defects, I believe, I believe that, you know, God is going to be removing those character defects. What part do I need to play? 
there's a wonderful line in the 12 and 12, which basically says, God will not render you white as snow without your cooperation. And that's a very powerful sentence for me. Because it basically says that I've got some responsibility in this too. I can't just say, God, take these defects of character away. You know, thank you. And, wow, he didn't do it. You know, I'm still an asshole. (laughs) What's what's wrong with you, God? You know, I think that there's I think that there's there's participation that needs to happen. And, you know, how then shall I participate for the removal of my character defects? I believe that the best possible atmosphere that we can place ourselves in for the removal of our character defects is to become willing to make amends where those defects have caused harm to the people and institutions who are defects have harmed and then actually go out and make direct amends to those people you know, where, where these defects of character have, have caused harm, where our, where our uh, living life on self-will has caused harm. And I believe that it's all part of a process. And if we stall out or we stop on any particular step, like, hold on, you know, I'm working on these character defects. I'm not going to be hasty moving into step nine. I still got some character defects to work on. You know, I think if we do that, what happens is we short circuit the, this beautiful process that's developed, you know, in a certain way to get us to, uh, to, to uh, a spiritual awakening. And if we, if we stop, if we stall out, what happens is a lot of times it's, it's hard to get that momentum going again. Anybody that's stopped in the middle of a fourth step or did a fourth step and, and, you know, waited a long time to do a fifth step or, or never got, you know, got their A step list down but never got out there, you know, didn't right away go out there to start the amends, understands what I'm talking about. You get stalled out. And, you know, that can sometimes really mean disaster. Even if you don't drink, usually it means uh, emotional disaster. You know, you, you, uh, you really start to suffer. So, you know, here, here I am in the beginning. I'm trying to work on my character defects. And have you ever seen the game Whack-A-Mole where you take the mallet and a mole pop up from the hole and you'll try to whack that mole and you're, you're about to whack that and another mole will pop up and another mole. It's never ending. You know, they keep popping up. Well, that's what happened to me when I started to work on my own character defects. You know, I was, okay, today I am not going to be selfish, you know. Uh, and and what what happens is I, I'm self-obsessed or I, I get really resentful or you know it, there's just no way that I can control my emotional nature, you know I, I you know I understood that in in step one, but I'm trying to because I'm working on my character def- defects. It was like playing whack-a-mole, you know. So when I was working on my character defects, I was whacking the mole. And my sponsor came to me one time. He goes, you know, Chris, if you keep whacking the mole, you could go blind. <laughs> so, well, maybe one eye, you know. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, like, what, what am I What am I doing, you know? Uh, it's... So often, so often we, 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 you know, we lack the action necessary for recovery. Why are, you know, why burn it up on things that aren't directly related to our recovery process? You know, 
one of the things one of the things that I see a lot around here because we are pretty near you know New York is is I, is I see people that don't get into the step process but get into service, you know, and you see them disappear into the service structures of Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, never to be heard from again, you know, <laughs> they're like licking envelopes in some office somewhere, and yet you know, and uh, and you know. Well, ha- well, do, you know, have you gone to the steps? Have have you read the chapter working with others? Are are you are you doing what it's asking you to do in that chapter working with others, or are or is your your program completely unbalanced? All you're doing is service. You know, uh, so often, so often we get caught up in all this because we you know we lack the balance or the understanding of you know uh, a true program of recovery and. The way the big book lays it out is is really perfect. So anyway, okay, I'm willing to have God remove these character defects. I've made the demonstration. I've done the affirmation prayer. God, please remove these defects of character. You know, we've all done the seventh prayer, seventh step prayer, a million times. Now I need to start on my eighth step list. A lot of it should already be done. Because a lot of it is coming off of our four-step list. And if we've got a really good sponsor, you know, somebody like Chris, they're helping by, you know, finding patterns, you know, finding the things that you might just conveniently be missing, like a huge bunch of amends, and they'll be able to help you, help you out with that, you know, and, uh, and start, to put, uh, start to put a list together. Now, what I like to do, and again, I'm not a slave to any specific mechanics as far as the recovery process is concerned. You know, I, I really don't care what kind of a form. I don't care if you go up and down or sideways. I really don't care as long as you are, uh, as long as you're answering the questions the book asks you to answer. And as long as you're complying with the instructions in the book, I'm kind of unconcerned about what type of mechanics you're using. But what I like to use on on the eight step is basically eight step cards. Uh, I like the five by seven cards, and I like to take all the amends that I've become aware of from the four step, from the fifth step, maybe from the 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 hour uh, quiet time, you know, uh, asking myself if I've left anything out, maybe from some of the six step stuff that that my sponsor has pointed out, and I like to I like to put them on cards. I like to put the person or the institution that I need to make amends to. I like to put their name. I like to put how to contact them, you know, the harm that I'm clear on. Now, so often we get this this part wrong. Um, you don't want to put something down like I was a jerk. You know, that's just that's just way too way too broad. We need to be specific about what our actions were. You know, because when we go to make amends, we're going to want to be making amends for specific things that we've seen that have caused harm. We, we don't want to be so general that we, we don't get to the point. So I like to write down, you know, what it is, what the harm I'm, I'm clear on. And then I like, to, I like to check these cards. Today, I'm not saying I always check the cards, uh, but uh, certainly if it's your first time through amends, um, or if you're unsure of anything, it's a good idea to check uh, with, with a sponsor or a spiritual advisor who's experienced with actually doing the ninth step. Okay? Not that there are people that sponsor out there that haven't done the ninth step. You know? I'm not saying that. You know, this is New Jersey. Anyway, check 
check to make sure that the approach, the approach is the first contact with the individual, make sure that that's going to be an appropriate approach, and then kind of talk about what the amends should look like. Okay, what, you know, what should be involved in that amends? If it's money, then you make the best deal you can. There's a lot of great information in our book about making amends. It's a really good thing to be, th to be thorough about studying that before you go out and make amends. It's also good to get some advice from someone with experience, a sponsor or a spiritual advisor with experience before you go out and make amends. I've seen people really screw this up. And one of the things you don't want to do is to have to go back and make an amends for doing a crappy amends. <laughs> you know, it's bad enough you got to do one, you know. Make sure that make sure that you're not you're not fouling it uh, fouling it up. Now, it says, except when to do so will injure them or others. That's one of the things that you really need to go over with, uh, with an experienced AA, whether it's a sponsor, spiritual advisor, whatever, someone that has experience doing those kind of amends. You know, because if your sponsor's never done an amends to the IRS, sometimes it's a good idea to go and talk to somebody who's done an amends to the IRS. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to, you know, you want to, see kind of what's coming, you want to be a little bit prepared, you want to be as appropriate as possible in any given situation. Um, but you, you know, you need to prepare a little bit for this. Now, um, amends, in my experience, are the things that really put muscle in your recovery. I, I'm, I am telling you, They, they add so much power to your ability to deal with life when you're clear on these and when you're as complete as you can be. Um, it's unfortunate today <clears throat> that, um, that there are sponsors out there that give you a pass on amends that you're really supposed to make. You really should be making. They're going to give you a pass. They'll say something like, Kid, you don't go back to any of the old girlfriends or relationships and make amends. You know, that's, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want you doing that. Oh, my God. You know, that's, that's where, that's, you know, that's where that whole area of your life has been Agent Orange. You know, it's just been, it's, you know, every relationship you've had has gone down like the Hindenburg. And you're just, you're just going to not pay any attention to it. You know, don't, there are people who are experienced and there are people who are giving you what they have. They're transmitting what they have, which is very little experience with the ninth step. You need to be careful about, you know, who you choose to, to help guide you through this. Because this is about freedom. Not only freedom, this is about, this is about setting right the wrongs. You know, doing our best to set right the wrongs. And really to be, feel comfortable, to really feel comfortable uh, in your own skin and in, with yourself and with your environment, it's, it's vitally important that we address uh, steps eight and nine uh, to, the, to the best of our, our ability and to do the ones that are appropriate to do. You know, the longer, the longer uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sober, the longer... Uh, the more times that I go through the steps, the more I see that more amends uh, need, to be, need to be taken care of rather than less. You know, I just need to learn how to appropriately take care of these amends. Let, let's, say, let's say it's an amends to an ex-girlfriend from 20 years ago. All right? 
You don't just go over to their go over to her house, find out where she lives, go over to her house, knock on her door, and her husband comes out, and you say, oh, "Can I see Judy for a minute? I need to make a ninth step for some sex harms." You know, I mean, I mean, you know, there's there's ways not to do this. There's ways not to do this. There's ways to keep from you know causing more harm and more contention and more problems. And you know, we have to be tactful. You know, we have to be uh, very, very tactful with these. But in the book, there's examples of making an amends to the man you still hate. Here's something that I was not happy about finding in the book. You know, I, I, you know when, when I found this out, I wasn't really happy. I'm really expected to go back and make amends to the, to the, man, to the man that I hated. So I immediately start figuring out why I don't really need to do this. You know, well, I didn't really hate him, and, you know, I'm over that now. And No, you know, read the black part. The great thing about making the amends to the man you still hate is that nothing, nothing will, nothing will be more significant in an amends than something like that. That is going to help you more than anything. I had an amends I had to do. It was an individual who, who, you know, at least in my perception at that time, really harmed me. And in my perception, I did very, very little, maybe five percent, to cause that harm. I, you know, if I set myself up, it was, you know, about, you know, it wasn't on purpose, and you know, this guy, did, and I, you know, I was able to really justify that this guy was way, way, way in the wrong. And I was figuring out how, you know, it's all this guy's problem. Why do I need to make amends? It just doesn't make any sense to me. You know, what am I going to do? And you know, I'm reading the book, and it basically says you go back to the person confessing your former ill feelings and expressing your willingness to, you know, to, to move forward. And I'm like, oh, my God. So this resentment, because it, it was a resentment, this resentment just was starting to get worse and worse and worse. And finally, it says take the bit in your teeth. You know, basically what that means is just go do it. You know, stop rationalizing, stop dodging and weaving, and just go do it. And I did. You know, I called the individual up. I met with him, and, uh, and, and I made the amends. And it was like, it was really not a whole lot of fun doing this with this individual because I still really felt like, you know, I had been really wrong. Got done, got done the amends, you know, shook hands, said goodbye to each other. And when he walked away... This is what happened. I didn't hate him anymore. I wasn't resentful at this individual anymore. I was free of this poison that was living inside my body, this resentment. You know, there's a lot of things in the book. Uh, there's, there's, you know, the, the, uh, in the stories, there's like freedom from bondage. And, you know, you, you pray for the person, you know, 50 times a day for six months or whatever. Well, how about doing what the program says? Because I've heard that shared in so many discussion meetings, it, it makes me ill. And rarely do you hear somebody share their experience about taking the bit in their teeth and going to the man they hate, confessing their former ill feeling. You know, that's what you're supposed to do. 
And by doing that, I, I listen, I didn't want to do it, and I put it off for a long, long time until I just wasn't willing to, to feel as emotionally and spiritually ill as I was. When I went and did it and I found out that I got freedom in it, I started to understand a little bit about this process. This process is, is, isn't about going to somebody and, 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 t and telling them that you're small, you know, groveling or apologizing or whatever. Sometimes an apology is appropriate. It's, it's, about, it's about trying to set right the wrong, absolutely, but it's also about freedom. It's about emotional freedom. It's about freedom from that bondage of self that is going to kill me. You know, my selfishness, my self-centeredness is what's going to kill me. You know, one of the uh, one of the great things in Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, and I always get this wrong. I think it's uh, I think it's warranty number six from the twelfth concept. Uh, there'll be some service people that would maybe correct me, but anyway, it basically states that there there can be no punitive action against an AA group or an AA member for infractions. In other words, when we fall short, we are not to be, uh, you know, there's no punitive actions that can be taken against us. We have a right to be wrong. And the reason why, uh, the reason why that principle was put in is basically because we don't really need AA or AA members to punish us. Because you know, that's what punitive action is. That means it's, you're going to be punished. Alcohol punishes us. And if we, if we fail uh, to practice these principles, if we fail to go through these steps and actually take these steps, and we're really a hopeless alcoholic, what's going to happen is, you know, the, the, the punishment is going to come from a return to drinking. You know, we don't need to really police anybody in here as far as that's concerned you know alcohol is the great taskmaster there's a section in step 9 that talks about criminal offenses it says in that that we must be willing to go to jail if we have to now it doesn't necessarily that say that we're, we we need to go to jail it says we need to be willing to go to jail if that's how far we have to go and I've worked this amends out with a lot of people, and only on one occasion, only on one occasion have I seen somebody go to jail for an amends they made. And they knew they were going to do it. They knew it was going to be jail anyway. They had to go back to Colorado and go to court for, for three open felonies that they, you know, they fled to avoid prosecution on, you know. Uh, but by turning himself in, instead of getting 15 years, he got like seven months and and some parole. So it was a smart it was a smart move. But these criminal offenses, it basically says in in this part of step nine, we need to be willing to do this because if we're not, we're going to stand in front of our Creator guilty of ruinous slander. They say in this one in this one example, but we're going to be standing in front of our Creator guilty and not being willing to set right this wrong. Now, there's a spiritual connection to that. This goes back thousands and thousands of years. 
you know, in the in the Christian tradition, it basically says, you know, before you go and and uh, you know pray and and give uh, give alms to God, make sure that there's no problem between you and your fellow man. And you'll find this in spiritual traditions across the board. You'll find it in all all religions and all decent philosophies that we need to be right with our fellow man. Never more so than if you're an alcoholic. Because not being right with somebody as an alcoholic, it can be a death sentence. You know, for somebody that's not alcoholic, it can just be a problem. But for us, we need, we really do need to be right with our fellow man, especially the people that we've harmed, especially when we've, you know, really, uh, really committed some crimes. Now, <clears throat> You know, I've gone back to places and I've admitted stealing from them. You know, I've I've done a lot of a lot of those type of events. Never once did they say, "You scumbag, I'm calling the cops." That's usually not the reaction. In this chapter, it says nine times out of ten, the unexpected happens. We get a more generous response from our amends than we expect. Is anybody in here like me who, what I do is I predict a disaster. I know I've done this type of an amend 75 times before, and it's always been good. But this time, I know I'm going to go to jail or feel small or whatever. You know, it's, it, what it is is it's, it's it, in, uh, an expectation of a negative reaction. And nine times out of ten we get a better reaction than we think we're going to get you know these things aren't aren't you're not supposed to be afraid to do this these are to help us get right with our world with ourselves with our fellow man and with god and those are all relationships that need to be right for us to be able to maintain our spiritual condition because God cannot render us white as snow without our cooperation. Part of the cooperation is the willingness to set right the wrongs. Now there's the amends that they talk about, about stepping out on the misses. You know what I mean? Being unfaithful. There's probably nobody in here that has ever had to worry about an amends like that, right? The general philosophy of this amends is very telling. This is, this is really where um, except when to do so would injure them or others comes into the philosophy of the step. It basically says in this, you know, if the person doesn't know that you've been unfaithful, does it make any sense at all to tell them? Does it make any sense at all to tell them who you were unfaithful with so that they can go, you know, beat the crap out of them? Is this going to do anybody any good? You know, that question is asked. Then it says, you know, if they know a little bit, you know, if, there's, if, if they suspect a little bit, we might need to admit that we've been wild, but that God willing... You know, we're, it's not going to happen again, and we're, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're sorry for what we have done, and we're really going to make an effort to not let it happen in the past. And this is kind of what 
you need to do. Now, I've seen this go so awry, you have no idea. This one guy I was working with, you know, who was, you know, going through the steps pretty quickly, but I told him, look, I want to see all of your eighth step cards. You know, I want to go over all this with you. He decided that he needed to go to his wife and tell his wife about the three affairs he had over the last 10 years. He needed to get this off his chest. Now, needing to get it off his chest, is that really spiritual? When we're supposed to be placing the welfare of others before the welfare of ourselves? That can't possibly be the right attitude. And did it go awry? You have no idea. You know, there's there's like five percent of the domestic uh, violence cases are are men are men that get the crap kicked out of them. This was one of them. Okay, he got the crap kicked out of him. He was in the hospital for a while. Not only that, but she but but because he told her who those people were, she instituted she instituted lawsuits against them for having unprotected sex with her husband. You know, and not alerting her. You know, it's, it, she, she was a, a, a psychopathic attorney. And, and this poor guy, you know, had to deal with this for like years. And, uh, you know, if, if he would have just paid attention to the attitude that you're supposed to have, the understanding of this step, we don't sweep our side of the street off and load the garbage onto somebody else's side. That's not worse. Oh, you know, honey, uh, I need to tell you. Uh, you know the last ten babysitters? You know, well, I've, you know, I had my way with, you know, eight of them. Uh, God, I feel better getting that off my chest, you know. So, so we need to be very, very careful. You know, jealousy is a terrible human emotion. You know, we need to be very, very careful, uh, care, careful uh, with that. How many times have we heard the ninth step promises read? You know, no new freedom and new habits. How many times have we walked into an AA room and they're up on the wall, the the promises, just the 12 promises? You know, if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, what phase of our development? Amends. Amends. You know, we'll, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. Halfway through what? Halfway through your amends list or your amends cards or however you do it. They're significant promises. Knowing a new freedom and a new happiness. Not wishing to, to, to shut the door on the path. They're, they're just they're amazing promises. And when you look at page 52, you look at the bedevilments. Uh, on page 52, uh, not being in control of your emotional nature, being prey to misery and depression. Uh, you look at those and then you look at the ninth step promises. You look at, you look at the spiritual malady is starting to be healed. You're looking at ninth step. The ninth step is starting to heal your spirit. And it's vitally important for us to get to this part. One of the things that I've observed in Alcoholics Anonymous over the years, and I've been around, I've seen a million people come and go, is that um, if you don't put enough into Alcoholics Anonymous and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, the 12-step program, if you don't put enough in, 
you're not going to get enough power back in your life to be able to stay. How many people, how many people leave AA? I'm looking around the room tonight and there's four people from uh, the, the original year, the year that we started the Burnsville Spiritual Awakenings Group. There's four people in this room that were home group members of that. You know, and there's a lot of people that have gone there through the years, but there's only four people in this room that are from that group. You know, where did everybody go? There's a lot of people that are gone. If you look at the turnover in Alcoholics Anonymous, you, you see a massive amount of people coming and going. The people, though, that stay, that are rooted in, you know, like a tick, those, pe- those people are the people who have a balanced, balanced, balanced recovery, consistent with meeting attendance, work the steps with a sponsor or spiritual advisor, and then find ways to be of help to other alcoholics. Uh, sponsoring other people. That's vitally important if you want to be able to stay here. You know, many of the people that disappear out of AA, a lot of times they're heavy drinkers anyway, and it's not a big disaster, and the house doesn't blow up, and, you know, they don't come running back in the next day with their pants on fire. I got four DWIs and thrown out of the house. That doesn't necessarily happen every time because a lot of people get here, you know, who really, really don't need to be here. But it's sad when you see an alcoholic leave AA because of a lack of participation. I don't know about you, but if, if I don't participate enough in this, there's just, there's not, there's, you know, I, I don't stay. For one reason or another, I don't stay. That happened to me my first exposure to AA. I did, I did what Dr. Bob did in the Osher group. I came late, I left early, and my God, I didn't want, I didn't want you to know who I was. And I didn't share, and I, you know, I didn't get phone numbers. And what happened was, I only stayed about two months, and then I disappeared. You know, I found reasons to not go. So we need to do enough in AA to be able to get enough power back from AA to be able to be able to stay. Um, I do some LinkedIn work, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm active on LinkedIn and, and, and I, you know, I'm, I'm linked with a lot of treatment professionals, uh, and, and, and addiction, uh, uh, treatment groups on this LinkedIn. And I, you know, I was going back and forth with this one guy about something, you know, trying to prove a point. And he came back to me with a statistic and this statistic really infuriated me, but like a lot of things, that's good. Because it makes you think. Now, what he said was, he goes, he goes, listen, there's been studies done on Alcoholics Anonymous that show there's about a 6% success rate. That would be about the same success rate as if you gave, gave, uh, gave someone a placebo. Now, think about that. That's what, you know, that, those are the type of statistics this guy is quoting. And I started to think, Oh my God, the, the AA I know is rarely does a, has a person failed through who's thoroughly followed the path. You know, what is this? Let me look at this. And I started to think about it and I started to look into these statistics and how they were compiled. Somebody goes up to an AA meeting location and catches people walking out the door and does a little survey. Okay. How long are you sober? You know, have you, have, you know, have you read? And they put, they put the, they put these statistics together. Now, what they're 
measuring is people showing up at AA meetings. They're not measuring the success of Alcoholics Anonymous. They're measuring who shows up at the door of the meetings. Now, think about, think about this. You know, first of all, AA is a 12-step program. If you're not, if you haven't taken the 12 steps, you can't claim to have tried AA. You might have sat in a few meetings, but that's not trying AA. Now, think about this. If I was doing statistics on heart surgeries, and, you know, I went to a hospital where a lot of people go into the waiting room but never leave the waiting room because they get scared of the operation and they leave, and I start, you know, I start seeing what kind of mortality rate is happening at this hospital, yet I'm not measuring the people that go in for the operations. I'm just measuring the people that walk through the door. Would that be accurate? Could you hold the hospital accountable to those, those negative statistics if the people aren't compliant with the treatment process? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think that that would be fair. But that's what gets done to us with these statistics. They don't come in here and ask you, you know, have you done all 12 steps? Have you made all of your amends? You know, they're not going to ask those questions. They're going to ask you, you know, how long have you been in AA? How long have you been in the program? Because they just, they just don't know any better. And if you look at the statistics that way, yeah, we've got really crappy statistics. You know, uh, 19 out of 20 people that walk in a, in the door of AA uh, are not going to make it. But you have to look at the reason. The reason is, is they're sitting in the waiting room and they never go in for the operation. The operation is the 12 steps. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has done these. <clears throat> No step is more significant than step nine. If you have some, some trepidation about step nine, if you've got some resistance, if you've got some fear as far as some unfinished amends or as far as really being honest with an amends list and then going out and making direct amends, understand one thing. You are cheating yourself. You are cheating yourself of an unbelievable experience. You know, the difference between finishing to the best of your ability, all your approaches, some amends just aren't done. It says in, the, in I think it's the chapter to the family afterward, you know, you're not going to be able to set right this in a lifetime. A lot of times that's the way it is with family. And you really need to do a living amends with that particular family member by just being, well, it's not even an amends. It's just practicing the principles with those, with those people, being the right kind of a person. You know, you're not going to be able to set that right in a lifetime. However, you can finish these approaches. You can do the best you can in an amount of time. And the difference between actually having finished those amends and not having finished those amends is a big one. Ask anybody who just finished their last amends how they feel. It's a quantum shift spiritually. So if you're holding on to some amends, if you're just not going to go back to that son of a bitch, you know, please rethink that. Please rethink that. Please start a, a prayer, a prayer regimen where basically you ask God for the strength and direction to go out and make that amends because it will come if you continue to ask for it and have the right attitude. 
you know, please do that. Uh, please do that. In AA, we are really being taught how to sponsor. Um, if you don't, if you aren't diligent about going through your amends, that's going to come out when you work with other people. You're going to transmit that incomplete experience to other people. So I know everyone in here really wants to be of help, and I, I bet you pretty pretty much most of us want to be good sponsors, want to be the best sponsors we can be. What we need for that to actually happen is for us to actually go through these steps and become uh, complete them and become compliant with the spiritual processes that they're asking us uh, to become compliant with. When you do that, you become an awesome sponsor. You get, uh, you know, a, 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 a sense of direction comes into you like you wouldn't even believe. The, the direction from God becomes accessible when you're working with other people. You know, somebody will come to me and they'll have like this god awful nightmare situation going on, and and without even without even thinking, oh, here, you know, here's what I think you should do, and it's like the right action, and it's it's almost like it's coming through me, it's not coming from me, and it, it comes it comes from being uh, being an enlightened and an, and an experienced Alcoholics Anonymous member, and that comes uh, that comes from experience with uh, <clears throat> with the steps. So please, I'll ask anybody in here who still has some unfinished amends to make a commitment this weekend. Make a commitment to someone else in this room and say, hey, you know, I want to make a commitment to you. I've got three unfinished amends. You know, will you help me be accountable for, for, uh, for finishing those? I've found that that's really helpful. You know, because if we're, if we're the only ones that know we've got three unfinished amends, we're in trouble. You know, so become, uh, become accountable to some people here. Today, this is a this is a great group, uh, great group of people. This is one of the one of the best workshops I've been a part of. Part of, you know, my, I've got my heroes here. Uh, you know, God bless all of you. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.